Take your Bibles, turn to 1 Timothy chapter 6. 1 Timothy 6. We have two messages remaining in this book. This text, this section, is easy for many of us to skip over when we come to it in our Bible reading or in our study uh, because we don't think about it as applying to us. Because it's a text about wealth, right? Many of us don't think of ourselves in that sense. And, and those who have wealth tend to overlook it because they don't want to hear its message, right? The rest of us immediately think that the passage is not for us because we're not wealthy. However, those who have wealth need this message in order to understand God's expectation of them. And the rest of us need to recognize that we actually are wealthy, You see, a recent study revealed that 71% of the world makes less than $10,000 a year. 71% of the world. So if you make more than $10,000 a year, you are in the top 30% of wealth in the world. If you make more than $30,000 per year, you are in the top 10% of wealth in the world. So while you may not think so, This text is for you. We live in a day of unprecedented wealth. Most of us have some kind of discretionary spending, things we can spend on whatever we want. But with this blessing comes responsibility. And it is vital that we understand what God expects for the wealthy. So let's look at our text this morning. 1 Timothy 6 verses 17 through 19. Paul says, as for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future, so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. In this text, Paul presents for us a biblical view of wealth. He informs us of God's purposes and expectations for wealth. And as we examine this text, we'll see first the message for the wealthy, and then in turn, the motivation for the wealthy. And throughout, we'll seek to understand that wealth is a gift from God to be used for His glory. Let's begin with the message for the wealthy. Verses 17 and 18. As for the rich in this world, in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share. He says, the rich in this present age, as we said at the outset, those who are rich are not just those with the most expensive homes, the newest toys, the most expensive cars. When the Bible speaks of wealth, to be rich is to have more than just the essentials, the food, the clothing and shelter. In today's terminology, it would refer to having any kind of discretionary funds, which most American Christians fall into that category. The first thing to notice about this text is that Paul does not direct the wealthy to give away all their wealth. He does not view wealth as sin or something to be ashamed of or something to shun. 
Instead, he gives us negative and positive instructions, negative and positive directions, a message. First, warning the rich of the dangers of wealth that they need to avoid and then laying out their duties to perform that God expects of them. So he gives the dangers to avoid. Paul presents us with two important dangers of wealth. He says, don't be haughty. This means to think exalted, to think highly, to be proud. It's a rare word occurring in the New Testament. It occurs only here and is a variant in Romans 11.20, where the Gentile believers not to be haughty about the fact that God has set aside Israel for a time. It's a compound of two words, one that means haughty or lofty, and the other that means to think. So it's a mindset, a disposition of thinking of yourself highly because you have money. The church father Chrysostom says in his advice, he gives knowing that nothing so generally produces pride and arrogance as wealth. See, Paul does not want the wealthy to develop a mindset of superiority or pride over the poor. You know, often those who are rich become snobs. You know, believing that they're rich because they're smarter or better or more blessed than anyone else. They begin to look down on those who don't have the wealth as though they're failures. Yet they fail to understand that everything that we have, that they have, is a gift from God. Many fools have wealth and many wise have none. See, wealth is not based on our own abilities, but rather it's based on God's gift to the individual for his specific purposes. We're reminded of James 1.17. Every good gift and every perfect gift comes from above, coming down from the Father of lights. You know, the rich are tempted to think that their greater monetary value indicates that they themselves are of greater worth or value. The wealthy, as opposed to those who are materially poor, are often deluded into thinking that their wealth is a mark of special divine favor. In fact, often when we think of blessing from God, we think in terms of finances. But scripture is clear in its teaching that during the present age, the wicked are often as materially prosperous, whereas the poor and the righteous are suffering are often poor. So if a Christian has riches, it can't be considered as proof that he's more pleasing to God than his poor Christian brothers. You know, as American Christians, we can be guilty of this, even though we don't consider ourselves to be wealthy. We see the poor in third world countries and we sneer. We often think that if they would just make better decisions, they would be financially stable. But we fail to take into account the leg up that we're given just by the fact that we're born in this country. Something that we had absolutely no control over. Further, we often look at the poor in our community and we immediately inform them that there are jobs everywhere if they would just simply go get one. But often we fail to take into account the life circumstances. Yes, often including bad decisions, but also including family dynamics in which they're raised, which present obstacles that they have to overcome and with which we can help them. Here's the point. Your funds are a gift from God. 
Your hard work and your shrewd investing surely played a role in the accumulation, but more so was God's graciousness in allowing you the privileges of your family and your country and your circumstances and your ability and your health. So don't be arrogant. You're not better because you have funds. Your wealth is a gift from God to be used for his glory. The second danger we need to avoid is the danger of placing our confidence, our hope in our funds. Set your hope on God, not on money. He says, nor to set their hope on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. We're not to place our hope upon the uncertainty, the indefiniteness, the the quality of disappearing of riches. See, wealth is a fickle thing in which to place our confidence and hope. Wealth is uncertain. What's been gained can be lost. And the materials we accumulate here will most certainly be lost when we die. You take nothing with you. So putting our confidence in wealth is foolish. This is a constant theme in scripture. That riches are not a proper foundation for our hope because they're uncertain. And riches are uncertain because they are of this age. And so Psalm 52.7 and Psalm 62.10 and Ecclesiastes 5.8 through 20 and Jeremiah 9.23 all Speak of the futility of trusting in money. We're reminded of Christ's statement in Luke 12. We're told someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But he said to him, Man, who made me judge or arbitrator over you? And he said to him, Take care and be on guard against all covetousness. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of of his possessions. And he told them a parable saying, the land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, what shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax. Eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, Fool, this night your soul is required of you. And the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Christ said in Matthew six nineteen, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The writer of Proverbs tells us, Whoever trusts in his riches will fall, but the righteous will flourish like a green leaf. Proverbs eleven twenty eight. He says also in Proverbs 23, 4 and 5, Do not toil to acquire wealth. Be discerning enough to desist. When your eyes light on it, it is gone. For suddenly it sprouts wings, flying like an eagle toward heaven. You see, your money, 
your finances are no guarantee of happiness, satisfaction, joy, or stability. That's the false message of the world. That's the lie behind things like the lottery. Win this fantastic wealth, get lucky, and you'll be set for your life. You'll be happy. But history has proven over and over that the opposite is actually true. Winning the lottery has actually led to more trouble than good. Because money cannot satisfy. The writer of Ecclesiastes tells us in Ecclesiastes 5, He who loves money will not be satisfied with money, nor he who loves wealth with his income. This also is vanity. When goods increase, they increase who eat them. And what advantage has their owner but to see them with his eyes? Sweet is the sleep of the laborer, whether he eats little or much. But the full stomach of the rich will not let him sleep. You see, God is the only appropriate and reliable object of hope. He is the one who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. Now, there are several notes that we need to make about that statement. First, it is God who provides us with what we have. The word provision means to grant you, who causes you to have it. So while we work and labor, it's God who decides what to give us. So we can be content knowing that God has given us what is best for us, whether much or little. Further, we see that God does not give grudgingly. He gives richly or generously. He doesn't give in wasteful excess. But this serves as a fitting description of the gracious and sufficient provision that he has made to meet our every need. Ephesians 1 7 informs us that God gives us according to his riches. He's granted us every spiritual blessing in heavenly places in Christ. So the funds that you have are a gracious gift from God. And as a gracious gift from God. They are to be enjoyed. He gives them to us to enjoy. Now notice, God does not shame the wealthy. He doesn't command that they take vows of poverty. If God has granted you the gifts of funds, he has done so for your enjoyment. That word enjoyment is an interesting word. It means pleasure, but in fact, it's a strong word denoting almost a sensual enjoyment. Now we need to note that this enjoyment is not the self-indulgent living that Paul has already criticized back in chapter 5 verse 6. Nor is this the discontented pursuit of more wealth or or lavish lifestyle of waste that we saw in chapter 6 verses 5 through 10. But rather this is ple- this pleasure is thankful acceptance of God's good gifts given for us to enjoy. While we see that there are some duties God expects us to use our wealth for, He's also granted it to us for us to rightly enjoy. One commentator said it this way, Paul's sound advice walks the straight line between a world-denying asceticism, meaning we want nothing, vows of poverty, and self-centered indulgence. 
This advice promotes gratitude for God for the benefits he bestows. See, God's financial blessings are not to be shunned, but used as God intended and to be enjoyed as God's gracious gift to us. So the two dangers of wealth that we need to be aware of are false pride, looking down on people less fortunate than themselves, and false security, trusting in the gift instead of in the giver. So we think through these commands of God, these dangers to avoid, we can see where these dangers make sense. Remember Christ told us the most important law is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is like unto it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other greater commandment than these. Well, when we trust in riches and not in God, we fail to love God. And when we become arrogant and look down on others, less fortunate, we fail to love others. They line up, these dangers line up with the commands of love God and love others. We're to recognize that our wealth is a gift from God to be used for his glory. He gave it to us for our pleasure. Yet, while we're to rightly enjoy God's gracious gifts, they do come with some expected duties that we're to perform with them. It says in verse 18, they are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share. You see, your wealth comes with three important duties to perform. And if you fail to perform these duties, you fail to obey God in his gracious gift to you. The first duty is to do good. They are to do good. It means to do good works. It means to do deeds inherently noble and praiseworthy. Again, it's a rare word that only occurs here and in Acts 14, 17. And the idea refers to doing what is noble and what is excellent, not what is only superficially good. See, the, wealth, the wealthy are to use their lives and their money to do genuinely good, moral, and helpful things. The wealthy are not simply to use their funds to feed a life of personal luxury. Rather, they are to use their funds to accomplish real, lasting good. While they're to enjoy the good gift from God, one way that they are to enjoy that gift is to find enjoyment in the benefit of others. Do good. Secondly, they are to do or be rich in good works. This idea is further drilled down by this second duty that ramps up the first. Not only are we to do good, we're to be rich in good works. The wealthy are to be wealthy in both funds and in works. But that word good works, noble deeds, implies... That the wealthy are not simply just to throw their money at a need and consider their job done. They are to get personally involved in the solution. This is interesting for us as Americans, because often we feel that if we just throw money towards something, we fix the problem. But we're also to be wealthy in good actions. God stated this because he understands that in many ways, simply throwing money at a need can actually hurt more than it can help. For often it entrenches the problem 
and encourages foolish living of the one in need. Better to add to the funds the discipline necessary to accomplish true change. The idea is for the rich to actually share what they have, which entails their personal involvement, sharing of themselves. Throwing money into the pot does not absolve the believer from the obligation of God to act and be involved in the discipleship and needs of others. The third duty is to be generous. He says they're to be generous and ready to share. These two phrases instruct us how the faith of the wealthy is to be demonstrated. The terms are complementary, if, if not even synonymous. They encompass the attitude of generosity in giving. He says they're to be generous. It means to share well, to be ready to impart to others. And ready to share means ready to share generously. It actually derives from the common New Testament word for fellowship. The word koinonia, it means to benefit. Giving to others is not to be done in a cold, detached manner. Rather, there must be mutual care and concern from the common life the believers share. Both generous and sharing occur only here. And both convey the common idea that the rich should share generously with the poor. We're reminded of Romans 12, verses 8 and 13. The one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity. He says, contribute to the needs of the saints. Seek to show hospitality. In 2 Corinthians, Paul speaks to the Corinthians about their riches and what they were to do with them. And he says in 2 Corinthians 9, beginning in verse 6, the point is this. Whoever sows sparingly, will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion. For God loves a cheerful giver. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. So you will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way which through us will produce thanksgiving to God for the ministry of the service is not only in supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. See, God grants wealth so that the wealthy will generously give to those in need. And since God is such a generous giver, his people should be generous Two, believers are to act towards others with the same generos generosity and generous love that moved God to act so richly towards us that he gave his son. Hebrews 13, 16 tells us, do not neglect to do good and to share what you have for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. We're told of the early church in Acts chapter 2 that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers, and all came upon every soul, and many signs and wonders were being done through the apostles. And the result was that all who believed were together and had all things in common. In Acts 4, he tells us, there was not a needy person among them. 
For as many as were the owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what they sold and laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as they had need. 2 Corinthians 8, 1 through 4 tells us, We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. You see, the duty of all rich believers is to use their resources to meet the needs of others. We see this as a theme throughout First Timothy. Believers' resources are to be used to support their families. Chapter 5, 8. Especially needy widows, chapter 5, 4. They must also be generously providing for the leaders of the church, 5, 17. And any believer in need, we see that as well in Acts 4, 34 and 35. And this provision is not to be minimal, just meeting the need, but to fully cover the need and more. One man said, if a rich man can share his wealth with others and find enjoyment in doing so, he is using his wealth as God intended. But if the thought of sharing is abhorrent to him, then he has fallen prey to the dangers Paul described of having his hope on the possession of riches rather than on God. Let me say how thankful I am for the generosity of God's people in this church. We have seen your faithful obedience in giving to the church over and over. Our desire is to add another pastor over the next year. That's going to require ongoing, generous, and sacrificial giving on your part. I was so encouraged last week with your generosity towards our young people. Last week's fundraising dinner raised almost $3,000 for our kids. It paid a large portion, a large portion of each of those kids' camps' costs. There was one young lady that wasn't sure she could go to camp at all because of the cost. And it paid her way. Your generosity. That's what God's talking about here. God's message to the wealthy, that includes all of us, is to take a perspective on material wealth That allows us to, one, avoid the dangers of arrogance and making money an an uncertain and undependable object of hope. And two, to view finances as an obligation to be used generously to the benefit of others. That's the message for all of us with our funds. Our funds are to be used for the glory of God. Your wealth is a gift from God to be used for his glory. But in our environment, we have to ask the question today, why would the wealthy want to do this? I mean, why would the wealthy want to generously give up what you have worked so hard to earn? Well, Paul tells us with the motivation for the wealthy. He says in verse 19, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. 
Here, Paul gives us two motivations for using our funds for God's glory. First, to store up eternal treasure. He says, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future. To amass this treasure in heaven. Christians should value heavenly treasure over earthly treasure. Because it demonstrates their priority of the earthly kingdom over the temporal world. We're reminded again of what Christ said. Don't lay up treasure on earth. Instead, lay it up in heaven. On earth it goes away, in heaven it lasts. For where your treasure is, that's where your heart is. He tells us in Mark 10 of the rich young ruler. Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, You lack one thing. Go, sell all that you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come and follow me. But tragically, we're told the young man went away sorrowful because he had much. See, Christians should invest their money in the souls of men. The souls of men who will be there to greet them when they get to heaven. The souls of men who need the gospel. This is why Christ tells us in Luke 16, 9, And I tell you, make friends for yourselves by means of unrighteous wealth, so that when it fails, they may receive you into the eternal dwellings. Secondly, we should be generous with our wealth, do good, and avoid setting our hope on it, so that we can take hold of true life. He says, so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. The word take hold means to grasp onto, to latch on and not let go of true, actual life. One man said, by being generous, the rich are not losing their wealth. Rather, they are laying it away in heaven. And by so doing, they are establishing a firm foundation for eternity, for life that is truly life. The world around you will tell you to value money above all else. The world around you will inform you to pursue a life of luxury. To get the newest toys, the nicest house, the best cars. But God informs us that there is something greater. We must pursue the glory of God. As Christ said in Mark 8, what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? Your wealth is a gift from God to be used for his glory. And so there are four things that we must do. Four so what's today. Number one, don't be arrogant Towards the less fortunate. It's easy to look down. On others in other countries. And it's easy to look down on the less fortunate. In our own culture. In our own society. To blame them for their own situation. Don't be arrogant. Because you are not there. Number two. Don't trust your finances. Trust God instead. He is eternal. He lasts. Finances fade. But number three, rightly enjoy the good gifts from God. He did give it to you as a gift to enjoy. So do it in a right and honorable way. Finally, seek to generously and sacrificially 
Provide for needs around you. When you see a need, don't wait. Generously seek to meet that need. Say, but it will cost me. Indeed. But you're laying up for yourselves treasures in heaven where they will last for all eternity. Let's pray. Father, we thank you once again for the opportunity that you have given us in your word. Lord, we do thank you for the blessings that you have bestowed on us. The reality that we have much more than so many other people. So, Lord, help us to use the the, the finances, the gifts that you have given us for your glory. to, To enjoy them as you intended, but also to seek to be generous. To seek to give sacrificially to meet the needs of those around us. Help us to do that as a church as well. We do love you. In Jesus' name, amen.